Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that tackles some difficult topics sometimes and sometimes not so difficult. I think today's is difficult in one way, but not in the way we usually think of. Um, It's about name changing. I don't know uh, how many of you out there are still using the terminology domestic violence. I still use it on occasion, but I also use a lot of the others. We went from domestic violence to um, um, interpersonal abuse to intimate partner violence. We've, We've had all sorts of names for what we deal with when it comes to um, um, dysfunction between uh, people. And today I have two guests who have some pretty intimate knowledge about some of those name changes. Michael, welcome on board, Michael Munson. And I'm going to let you talk about what it is that you do for FORGE. What is FORGE and what do you do, Michael? Well, thanks for having me on. It's um, a pleasure to be here. Um, I have been with FORGE since its beginning, so uh, we're a 22-year-old national transgender organization with an exclusive focus on sexual assault, domestic violence, dating violence, and stalking. So we do a a bunch of work with trans survivors, but it's a really small portion of what we do, about 25% of our time. And then the majority of our time we spend doing training and technical assistance with uh, OVW-funded providers, OVC-funded providers, other people who are in victim services. Um, so that's really a, a lot of what we do. So we kind of do the, the nitty-gritty work with folks as well as kind of the overarching philosophical, theoretical work. Okay. And I'm going to come back to the terms that you used for the work that your organization does in a minute. But first I'm going to interview or inter- introduce uh, Meryl Cousins. Meryl, Thank you for joining us, and uh, you're in my neck of the woods, and so I know very, very uh, clearly what kind of work you do, but share with our audience, please. Okay, well, thanks so much for having me, Heather, Um, and uh, uh, thanks for joining, uh, getting me and Michael together to do this. Um, uh, So I work for the Coalition Ending Gender-Based Violence, um, and we've been around for a long time informally as the King County Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and we um, we incorporated in 1990, and I was actually the first staff person um, hired to uh, open an office and establish a kind of permanent presence in 1999. And um, so we're... Uh, and that's saying something, considering the fact that you just turned 25 this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yes. yeah. And um, so... Uh, I'll I'll talk more in a little bit about the reason for our name change, but for a long time we were a coalition of um, organizations that uh, worked to either provide services related to or to prevent um, domestic violence. And in more recent, and and what we did was serve to pull all these organizations together and um, uh, help people develop a common agenda, serve as a resource, uh, an avenue for information sharing, and um, to um, uh, provide leadership for public policy efforts, primarily at the the local and regional level, and then um, supporting our uh, other, you know, sister organizations at the statewide and federal levels. Um, Over the past several years, we um, have been working more formally with sexual assault agencies, and at the same time, um, many of our member agencies were actually providing services for sexual assault and or sex trafficking or trafficking um, uh, in in general uh, survivors. And so we decided to formally expand our mission to include a broader range of of kinds of violence and abuse, uh, including sexual assault, uh, stalking, and um, in addition to intimate partner violence and trafficking, and so that necessitated a name change, and that's when we chose to become the Coalition Ending Gender-Based Violence. Okay. Uh, and we All rolled right. that out Thank a year ago, um, uh, or we, we chose the name more than a year ago, but rolled out our new name in no, uh, last November. So. Yeah. And I think it's a, a great name, and I love that you left the, the um, um, coalition part in. I, I love that. Anyway, um, <laughs> 
Thank you uh, for joining us. Thank you both for joining us. Now, if you would like to join our conversation, please do. We already have a couple of callers in queue, and we'll get to you callers in just a few minutes. Let's get into our talk first. Our call-in number is 646-378-0430. Or you can go into our chat room if you would like, and the chat room, as soon as I click this button, is now open. So you can list a question there and uh, or comment, and I'll be happy to share it with our guests. So, Michael, Merrill, um, I heard all sorts of terminology when you were describing mm-hmm. what you do. I heard violence. I heard abuse. I heard partner. I heard intimacy. Are we talking the same thing? Does I mean, is a rose is a rose, or does it make a difference whether you, Meryl, or your organization changed its name from domestic violence to um, gendered violence? Does it make a difference mm-hmm. whether we talk about violence or abuse? I know in my mind it does. But what's the thinking behind changing the name? Michael, you want to go first? Um, I can, but Meryl probably has a, a differently thought-out answer since they've, they've formally changed okay. their name. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but- very gracious of you. Let's go to Meryl. <laughs> um, well, I do think that language matters, and I do think that um, uh, I don't think that they're all the same thing. And uh, I, and that's actually, I think, um, part of the problem is that we're not always precise with our language. But I guess what I would say is I see gender-based violence as um, an umbrella term for some of these other terms that we've used. So our decision was not to change our name to gender-based violence. Our decision was to expand our mission to include a broader range of behaviors um, than only uh, domestic or intimate partner um, violence, which, again, are not necessarily the same thing. So that was our decision first, um, and then so then we in very intentionally chose the term gender-based violence. So, um, so I think domestic violence, sexual assault, intimate partner violence, um, uh, stalking, th- those kinds of things, um, all fit under gender-based violence, um, but they're not. But gender-based violence is a, is a broader term. Um, I think. Well, that then why not just call it a sex crime? Because it's based on on sex, mm-hmm. gender. Um, I don't believe that sex and gender necessarily mean the whole the same thing. Ah, good. So, uh, so gender, I think, is a social construct that assigns um, different characteristics roles um, and values to um, individuals with uh, different sex characteristics or um, the, uh, bi- biological sexes. Divides, it divides the world into a binary notion of what um, gender is and then assigns um, different characteristics and values uh, to those. So... That's one part. Okay. I mean, Michael could probably say more about that. You've jumped into to really difficult territory, right? Like, right in yeah. the first question. Of right the, away, go for the hard <laughs> the first stuff. sentence. Um, <laughs> I wanted to, to kind of circle back to um, what you were saying, too, about how mm-hmm. you're using gender-based violence as an umbrella term. And I think that that is mm-hmm. one of the the benefits of using different language that we're using um, more now than, than we did 10 years ago or even five years ago mm-hmm. is that I think the intention is to create um, more inclusiveness of what we're talking about in terms of violence um, or abuse or whatever we want to call it that's underneath that umbrella. And, mm-hmm. you know, for us working with transgender folks and working within LGBT con- constructs, that's not always the best way for us to think about it, um, and we know that it ends up causing a lot of harm um, for direct services, and I know we're going to probably get into the direct service piece of it later, but mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting to, you know, when we look at how can we expand language so that it's more inclusive, more accurate, um, includes a wider range of victimization, wider range of number of survivors, um, a wider range of number of per- perpetrators or offenders as well. So um, I think the intention is often well-meaning, and I'm certainly not talking about your organization, Meryl, but I think in general when we're talking about gender-based violence, it's people are, are well-intentioned in that change. And on the, the ground, I'm not sure that that intention is playing out in a very useful way. Okay, I want you to go into that, but first I want to ask my question, because 
as we try to make things broader, do we not also kind of water them down? Mm-hmm. Michael? Yeah, I think that that is, is kind of what is happening. Um, I know when we train, we oftentimes encourage people to call whatever the it is exactly what it is. So if we're talking about sexual assault, let's call it sexual assault. Let's not talk about it as something kind of euphemistic. Um, let's not just talk about it as assault. So let's get really specific about what it is. And I think the more specific it can be, the better it is on that individual level. And so I think when we're we're looking at things, there's a difference between kind of this whole concept of like social justice, social change, um, how do we do things in this global way, and then how do we do things when we're working directly with survivors. And I think there's a really big difference in what our language is with those two different things and how we approach the work if we have one lens or the other lens. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Marilyn, I, w- you... I would agree with you, and certainly we, um, you know, our intent in um, using the term gender-based violence is to be more inclusive and to focus more on root causes of um, violence as opposed to how it manifests. And it, actually, if you Google the term gender-based violence, the term um, actually has been in wide use in the international human rights um, world for a long time, and it's been used um, by some people interchangeably with the term violence against women. And the problem with that is that um, we know that um, people of any gender can be victims of domestic violence, intimate partner abuse, um, sexual violence and abuse, um, trafficking, uh, and stalking. Um, and it is, it is something that leaves out, leaves people who, who are, don't identify as women or girls out and, um, ha- makes it difficult for, for them to name their experiences. And the, uh, uh, so, we but but others are using the term gender based violence more inclusively and we decided that we get to define what we mean by gender based violence and um you know in all of our literature and every way that we talk about it we do talk about um it being focused not on who's doing what to whom on the more individual level but on um understanding these forms of violence on a um on kind of a social and um, uh, cultural level, we have to understand the roots that are the um, that are rooted in these um, in these norms and uh, values that um, break the world into these two binary genders, and then um, uh, you know assign different kinds of behaviors and values to to those things. And um, it was actually a very dis- uh, intentional decision. We did have some people who really thought we should call ourselves the Coalition Against Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault. Um, and uh, we intentionally, um, and, it, and in fact, it was uh, our um, member agency, that uh, the Northwest Network of Bisexual, Trans, Lesbian, and Gay Survivors of Abuse, that was one of the voices that said, we need to be clear that we still have a gendered analysis of the, or we still have an analysis that calls out um, the gendered nature and roots of these kinds of violence and abuse, and that they're not just, you know, individuals doing bad things to each other, but that there are social and cultural roots that are gendered um, and also uh, influenced by, uh, you know, racial inequities, economic inequities, uh, all of those other kinds of um, injustices we we have. And so, you know, what I would say is if our organization was an organization that did direct services with survivors, then I think it would be very important to to call out the kinds of violence and abuse that we were, um, you know, responding to and providing services for as opposed to using this general term. But as a coalition that is trying to pull people from these different um, perspectives together 
and focus on the commonalities, we chose to um, include, to, to very specifically use that term. So, Michael, does that make sense? Yeah, one of the things that struck me um, when you were speaking was when we look at things like what's happening in other parts of the world where mm -hmm. um, gender is, is really different than how it is in the U.S. in a lot of ways, um, maybe a little bit um, more binary, a little bit more regressive um, in terms of gender roles and, and power dynamics. Um, I think that's really different than looking at what's going on here in the U.S. And I think that's, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's one of those things that I always try to keep in mind when I'm looking at, you know, what's happening around the world versus what's in our own home home pocket. And mm -hmm. and I, I was also thinking about how it really takes a long time for language to change and the meaning of that language to change. So, I mean, I know like Webster is always adding new words to the dictionary, which is really kind of, you know, it's amazing and it's cool and it's neat. And I think that that I think what's going to end up happening with phrases like gender-based violence, if that word, if that phrase actually continues to stick in our vernacular, is that people are going to have a different understanding of what it means versus what I think a lot of people think it means right now. Because I think right now, both professionals and mainstream, you know, people walking around in the world tend to think of gender-based violence as still an equivalent to violence against women. And really? I think you know, you know what's yeah, really interesting about that, Michael, is that, um, and you know, I'll be the first to admit that Seattle and King County may not be um, the the same, or it may it may be different in some ways than many other parts of the country, let alone the world. But y'all um, out there. <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But that, um, you know, we we do in some ways exist in in bubbles, right? All of us individually, and then sort of regionally, and um, but maybe partly because of current events locally and nationally, um, I'm seeing people reacting immediately to when we're talking about gender-based violence, seeing it as being anti-trans violence specifically, and people are automatically talking to us about the um, so-called bathroom bills <laughs> right. and, um, you know, the, um, you know, hate, the hate crimes and things like that, which absolutely we would see encompassed in the term gender-based violence, and we certainly have been um, involved in uh, being very present for um, in joining other coalitions that here in Washington success successfully defeated the um, anti-trans bathroom bill and um, uh, or initiative and um, you know all of that. But I'm also trying to be clear that like you know a I don't want to <laughs> be I, I don't want to be um, saying that I don't want to be taking credit for things that we can't take credit for, which is that there are some really strong. Um, transgender rights organizations that are actually becoming members of our coalition, um, but I, you know, really sort of want to defer to their leadership. And then also um, that still the majority of our work and expertise is more in the areas of domestic violence and sexual assault. So it's been interesting because my concern was that people we're going to assume that, you know, we're still just talking about violence against women and what about male victims. And those those were, I mean, we actually spent many hours developing, you know, FAQs that, talk, that talked about, like, you know, what about male victims and, you know, why we think that gender-based violence um, is inclusive of male or gender nonconforming um, victims and survivors. And, in fact, the most common... Um, what I would say misinterpretation I'm seeing is, in fact, around, um, you know, how much trans the transgender rights activism is uh, the primary thing that we're focused on. So that's you really know, I, let, let me <laughs> let you, if you hold that thought, Michael, we've got a, hall, a caller that's been on hold for like 25 minutes. So I want to go to okay. that caller. And um, by the area code, I'm guessing that this is a caller in your neck of the woods, Michael. So okay. let's see if she's he or she is still holding. So, caller, are you there? Yes, I am. I am here, and thank you for taking my call. Um, I Did you am, have a question for uh, yes, Michael I or do. Meryl? Okay. Well, uh, for Meryl, um, okay. I have done a lot of work in the LGBT community for, for decades, uh -huh. and mm -hmm. what I have never understood is how the um, – 
the concept of gender-based violence encompasses things like when my lesbian lover sexually assaulted me. Mm-hmm. How How is gender the cause of that sexual assault? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's an interesting um, question, I think. Well, what I think is that, you know, for years the anti-rape, anti-sexual assault, anti-domestic violence or battered women's movement, when you know, when we were really back in the olden days when we were really only talking in terms of um, heterosexual relationships, we you know, we had this analysis about, um, you know, these problems being rooted in patriarchy and the objectification of women and, um the concept of um, male rights, uh, men's rights to women's bodies, and um, you know, male ownership of their wives, and then you know, in changing world, <laughs> the partners who, whether or not they're married, um, and um, then when many of us started saying, well, wait a minute, abuse happens in lesbian relationships. Also, it happens in um, gay male relationships. Um, Back then, people weren't really talking about transgender folks very much at all. Um, But, uh, you know, and then some people's response was, oh, well, that means we have to throw out our gender analysis. And what I believe and what many um, feminists said and still say is that um, no, we we don't throw it out. It doesn't make it all a moot point, but it does mean that we have to be a little more sophisticated in how we understand um, how oppression works, and that um, we grow up in you know we we all live in the context of um, a sexist, racist, capitalist society, and that we all um, are influenced by that, and that that those things carry over into our intimate relationships no matter what our gender, our race, our you know all of those things are. And so it's too simplistic to just say it's about men doing bad things to women. Um but I also do think that you know that the issues of um uh, you know, uh, uh, having power over somebody and that somebody, you know, that what it means to be in, in, in an intimate relationship and um, means that one person is, has power and control over the other, that one person under certain circumstances has the right to force another into, into sex, um, uh, that, you know, devalues uh, women, all of those kinds of things that that can end up expressing itself in in individual ways and as as a social phenomenon. And to me, you know, saying that, of course, um, and and it's more complicated than that, and and whenever you're talking about why is an individual doing this to another individual, there are everything from, you know, that person's experience, personality differences, you know, uh, psychological differences, environmental differences, all of those kinds of things to play play into it. But I also think we're missing the mark if we just say that um, it's bad things happening to people, you know, people. And then also when we look at the impacts, um, there's the issue of how society um, reinforces or supports those um, different kinds of violence and, and how that um, affects what uh, options there are for resources, what kind of a response somebody gets, um, and uh, you know, and whether or not um, people are held accountable. And so, okay. I'm not saying that. So, while the behaviors may be the same, um, and and anyone who is experiencing coercion, assault. Um, physical violence, sexual violence, um, you know, intimidation by, an, in, you know, another person it, that deserves safety and support, and it's, of course, incredibly damaging. Um, what kinds of support is going to be an option for that person, and um, uh, what kinds of uh, interventions might be available is 
going to vary, vary depending okay. on well, how that's playing out. Are we are we getting close to answering your question with that, or shall we give well, Michael a I shot just, at that? I, I just am, am thinking that if I, I, I don't believe that mm-hmm. gender roles are what caused her to attack me, and therefore when I look at mm-hmm. services out there, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh, they do gender-based violence, so they do they focus on men's violence against women. That doesn't that doesn't cover me. Mm-hmm. I have to look right. elsewhere. Right, but see, none of our service agencies call themselves gender-based violence, um, and so. This is the term that we're using for the coalition of these organizations for our um, activism, and um, you know, and I'm not. There may be other programs elsewhere, and I'm not even saying that that's a positive or negative things. But what I actually heard from L- from many uh, LGBT folks is that they did not see themselves in the terms uh, in the terms sexual violence or domestic violence because that their definitions in their heads was that was things that happened to heterosexual people and i'm not saying that we shouldn't be using those terms but um it was actually um we did some surveys of members and um you know uh, a lot of our stakeholders and um the uh people who um did not identify as uh, people who I knew were not identifying as LGBTQ, which I obviously didn't know with everybody. Um, There were people who had questions about, well, what about abuse in lesbian and gay relationships? But the folks who um, did identify as LGBTQ um, that I knew identified that way all said, this is more inclusive of my community. So, again, I'm not okay. saying that that's um, the and I think and that, all. Meryl, if I can jump on you here, I think that also it, we need to be clear that, that your organization is a coalition of organizations, of service right. providers. exactly. It's not a right. direct and service, so you're looking at things from the standpoint of, of what's going to help our organizations, not necessarily what's going to be helpful one-on-one with people who need right. uh, individual services. Am I right there? Yeah, and one of our members is the Northwest Network of Bisexual, Trans, Lesbian, and Gay Survivors of Abuse. And, um, you know, they can talk more articulately than I can about their analysis of, um, you know, of domestic violence and sexual assault uh, and uh, sexual violence. And they um, are very strong that, you know, there are roots, the roots are in... um, sexism as well as these other forms of power imbalances and oppression um okay. and they're okay. adamant that yeah so okay caller are we answering your question here yes you've answered the question thank you mm-hmm. thank okay Th- thank you for your call michael did you want to add something um to that well, I've I've made a bunch of different notes, and hopefully they can all all go together a little bit. I think one of the things is that it, you know this is obviously really complicated and complex, and you know having a, an hour long discussion is not going to solve the the answers. Um, you know, obviously we could spend years and years talking what? about. What? <laughs> no, it's not going to solve the answer. <laughs> have all the answers, um, but it's it's really tough because you know it, these are really you know serious and and hard issues, and you know they're life and death issues for a lot of people. And you know, language is is super important. It's it's incredibly important, and it can be incredibly dangerous and damaging as well. So it's like you know, it's, it's really how do we balance what language we use and how we frame that language and how we think about it and what message that gets sent out and all of those things. And I think one of the things that we've been learning more and more at Forge with with how we're doing and how we're working with professionals um, who are working with with survivors is that we're finding that when people focus on on the root cause, um, while that's important for for a lot of people and a lot of agencies, it really oftentimes does a disservice to the survivors that they're working with. So again, this is kind of a a framework of of who is – who are people working with? What are they doing? Um, or is this a theoretical discussion? And, and there can be some, you know, some friction between those those two groups of people. Um, I wanted to add another thing, which was just kind of like I think when we look at um, when we look a little bit at the cause or what's, you know, why is this stuff happening? Um, the big stuff, meaning any of these types of violence that we're talking about. I, I don't 
tend to think that gender is the the central point of what's happening. Um, we can look at that as one point out of many, but I, I have found that, that if we focus more on things like behavior or experiences or things like developmental issues, um, if we look back to things like this really large study, the ACE study that a lot of people know about, the Adverse Childhood Experiences um, study with you know 17,000 respondents, when, when we see how like children who have witnessed these adverse childhood experiences um, have developmental delays and they don't learn healthy relationship skills. I think those are some of the, the, the causes or the reasons why people end up being abusive in some ways. I mean, it's not the only reason, but, um, and I think that has less to do with gender and more to do with what people have experienced. So, I mean, it's, it might be a semantic issue, um, and I'm certainly not denying, you know, the, the role of, of class or race or, or any of those those long-term experiential things um, mm-hmm. that people are surrounded by, we're all surrounded by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think you make a good point. I, I think um, sometimes we kind of get caught up on, um, you know, uh, who somebody picks as a victim rather than the fact that they will pick any kind of victim. I mean, it, it's just, mm-hmm. uh, you know... It, well, see, and I think that's where there, we do issue. have some fundamental disagreement because I don't think it's just a case of... You know, it's human nature to um, abuse and um, pick on people, or it's a psychological um, dysfunction, and, um, you know, it's just sort of, a you know, chance who picks who to pick on. And um, I, I think it's a lot more complex like that than that. But if we don't, even when we're working with individuals, particularly if we're talking about changing individual um, abusive people's behavior, um, we can't just, we can't, we, certainly we have to look at um, the whole person and, uh, you know, what, and what you learned about relationships is, um, is important. Um, but it's also where did you learn to objectify somebody? Where did you learn um, this sense of entitlement that you have to, um, to control somebody else? Where did you learn this pattern of behaviors that is um, keeping someone intimidated uh, and, um, and afraid? And um, those even when the expression is more complex than it's just, um, you know, men doing it to women, the roots are in our patriarchal um, society. And I think we do a disservice to abusers um, or people uh, who use um, these different forms of um, coercion and control and um, assaultive behaviors if we don't talk about that stuff. I think we just need to be even more sophisticated about how we talk about that when we're talking about um, LGBTQ relationships or when we're talking about um, when it's uh, not displaying itself in, um, you know, the the expected manner of uh, a man abusing a woman. Um, we miss the boat, and we do a disservice to them, and I've heard that from people who work with um, uh, abusers, both heterosexual and um, LGBTQ. So, well, again, it, it is be, complicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm not well, saying that it's irrelevant point. to individual circumstances. I think it is relevant, but on the individual level, um, you do have to... Um, be a lot more sophisticated about how you talk about it. And well, and I think that, if I can throw in my two cents worth here, I mm-hmm. think that we do tend to, um, we tend to um, not realize the complexity of, of somebody. You know, remember, you know, 25, 30 years ago, an abuser was somebody who had an anger and alcohol problem. Boom. Mm-hmm. Well, then as more research comes in, we start realizing, wait a minute, there is no one abuser. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that there is no one abuse? You know, we're we're looking at things on all these levels, and all of the arguments that we're looking at are legitimate explanations. Um, mm-hmm. But then we're we're stuck with the idea of okay, what term can we use that mm-hmm. will be all encompassing? Am I mm-hmm. off my my rocker here, Michael? Are you on board well, with I, what I'm saying? I, I think that you know, I think we're. I'm not going to 
disagree with with either of you, and I and I don't. I think mm-hmm. that they're, we're all right in all of this, and I think that's mm-hmm. one of the the beautiful challenges of of looking at this is that there are a lot of ways to look at it, and I'm not sure there's any one specific right way to look at it. Um, Mm -hmm. I I definitely agree that, you know, people learn patterns of behaviors. Um, Is Mm -hmm. it always linked to gender? I definitely don't think so. I mean, I I look Mm -hmm. a lot at, you know, what's the state of our world right now, and, you know, we can have politicians that are bullying uh, lots of different kinds of people in in very public ways, and we're bombing Mm -hmm. different countries, and, and, you know, what does that teach our young people, and what does our teacher, what does it teach our adults? And you know, that's just one example of another type of behavior that I think mm-hmm. people are learning or seeing in the world. Um, so, does it all go back to gender? You know, again, I don't think so, but I don't know mm-hmm. that I have the answer either to what it all goes back to because I don't think it's one thing that mm-hmm. we can pinpoint. And I don't think anybody said that either. So. No, and I, I certainly. Um, wouldn't say that, but we felt the need, and again, you know, I don't know if we want to talk about any of these other terms or anything else, because I, you know, uh, then just uh, gender-based violence, but um, I think that um, I'm not saying that that's the only cause, but then why is sexual assault and um, domestic, uh, what we most commonly call domestic violence, but I would Um, use, I think a more precise term would be intimate partner abuse. Um, You know, obviously it's it's cultures of violence and um, intersecting with uh, cultures that glorify violence and there's a huge um, power imbalance between men and women are cultures that tend to have higher levels of um, sexual and domestic violence. And it's much more complex, but we also felt the need to put some parameters around, you know, we're not primarily talking about gang violence, even though we know that domestic violence and sexual assault often happen in the context of gang violence. We're not talking about, you know, we're not just all violence is bad and we're the coalition against violence. And so we we felt like we needed to say, what is it about these kinds of violence that, that, they have in common, and it is we do think that there are roots that are um, that are based in gender in you know uh, intersecting with these other kind with with a glorification of violence um, and intersecting with uh, you know other kinds of um, power imbalances and that 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 leads us to understand the phenomenon on a social and um, cultural level, something that happens to up to 50% of all women and girls and not a small number of um, boys and men and um, people who identify across the gender spectrum. It is not can't be explained by individual psychological experiences, even though, you know, I mean, or you know, even though I think that trauma and um, abuse and early, you know, adverse childhood experiences and all of that kind of stuff, of course, is a big part of it. Um, but as we're, we we need to be looking at it at the individual level and the social level and, and ad- addressing it at that. Um, okay. So I think what we need to do, Meryl, mm-hmm. is to move on a little bit off of this one because yeah. we do have other areas that we need to talk about, and right. um, I, I want to make sure that we have time to do mm-hmm. that. One of the mm-hmm. things that um, I have noticed about language lately that I think mm-hmm. is a good thing when we're talking about this, you know, the, these kinds mm-hmm. of topics, is mm-hmm. the move away from violence, uh, the mm-hmm. word violence, to abuse. I'm a mm-hmm. huge advocate of that because so mm-hmm. much of what we used to call domestic violence doesn't involve mm-hmm. broken bones and, and bruises. And yet many people in the general population, I mean, you know, you, you two work in this field, so mm-hmm. you're necess- mm-hmm. not necessarily seeing these things the same way that, you know, mm-hmm. Judy down the road sees it when talking with her neighbor. Um, right. And I think that that move from violence to abuse, to using that word, um, it can do a lot of good. Michael, do you agree with me, or do you think that that's important? Well, I think it's important to to shift language in different situations. And I, I really feel slippery on this because um, when you were speaking, I was thinking about um, 
my, my friend and colleague Steve Lepore at One in Six, they focus on um, boys who experience sexual uh, violence, sexual abuse, sexual assault. And I know he and I have had some interesting conversations around language that's used. And, um, you know, one thing that struck me a long time ago is because we, we tend to use sexual violence as the language that we use most often um, mm-hmm. because violence seems to, to cover both abuse and assault. And some people that are working in things think of abuse as childhood and assault as adults. So we've switched to violence. But he pointed out to me that, like, you know, a lot of times the, the young boys that that have experienced sexual, um, you know, inappropriate touch are not experiencing things that are, are violent or abusive or perceived to be abusive by them. So I think a lot of times, you know, neither of those words, either violence or abuse, capture what somebody is experiencing or, or how they, they frame or see it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely in agreement that, that abuse is a, a really powerful and useful word because a lot of times the behavior is not violent. Mm-hmm. And yet, does somebody see themselves in that if we as professionals or, or as people who are talking about this use either of those terms? Um, mm-hmm. And that comes back to then what's culturally relevant to the survivors who we all need to reach so that they can access appropriate services, get the healing, um, access to healing that they need. Mm-hmm. Well, I and, can't tell you. Uh, I know from my personal experience, I have met, met many women who have said to me, I used to pray he would hit me because then I would know mm-hmm. I could leave. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, yeah. I think there is definitely that perception that unless there's physical violence involved, um, that it's not bad enough to to get out of it. Right. Um, and so, and that's in the, the traditional, you know, uh, male-on-female domestic violence concept. Um mm-hmm. So that's why I tend to use the term abuse more than violence anymore. Mm-hmm. But you make a good point, Michael. You know, I'm. Yeah, I guess what I would say, and again, it, I think that the terms are not the same, and they can all be appropriate in different situations. So we have to be clear what we're talking about, um, and uh, you know, the issue of sexual abuse of children is further complicated by, you know, whether or, you know, abuse refers to an abuse of power and as a, you know, at least legally we define children as being, um, you know, unable to consent. And so by definition, um, an adult having any kind of sexual contact with a child is defined legally as abusive. And, you know, so then the question becomes, um, you know, and at what age and, and do we set that that becomes not abuse, but um, maybe something else? Uh, and you know, that's any any age you're going to use is going to be arbitrary. Um, in talking about intimate partner violence and abuse, and the term domestic violence, I think there there's two issues. One is um, with the term violence or abuse, and legally, um, it, you know, pretty much every statute defines domestic violence as being uh, an assault or a really cre- uh, uh, an assault or a very credible threat of imminent physical um, or uh, sexual harm, and, and so that defines a narrower range of behaviors than the term abuse which can, you know, when we use that behaviorally, um, is talking about a range of behaviors, um, some of which are criminal and some of which aren't, and some of which we aren't arguing should be criminal, like, you know, calling someone names, um, manipulating, because then what becomes important is the pattern of those behaviors and, and the context that those behaviors are used in, as opposed to, you know, what the specific behavior is, but that encompasses all kinds of threats, um, either overt or covert, it, it, in, um, you know, manipulation, coercion, um, economic control, all those kinds of things. And um, in relationships where there is domestic uh, or intimate partner abuse going on, those kinds of things are constant, whether or not there's, you know, these specific assaults. Um, so we, we're talking about the range of behaviors that are included under those two those two terms, 
legally and I think in most people's mind. I think in most people's mind, like some people will argue that, like, well, threats are violence, you know, but I think for most of us we're talking about some kind of physical contact if we're talking about violence. Um, And then we have the term domestic versus intimate partner. And again, um, those are defined differently legally. Legally, uh, um, in Washington State, uh, domestic violence is uh, defined as, you know, an an assault um, by somebody who is in a family or household relationship. So it can include adult siblings. It can include parent-child. It can include um, all kinds of family relationships. And not to say, whereas behaviorally we tend to focus, when we're talking about intimate partner violence or abuse, we're narrowing it down and focusing on some of the specific kinds of dynamics that tend to occur in many cases where you've actually got um, violence and abuse happening in intimate partner relationships. So it's important, uh, all of those terms are valid in different contexts, and I think it's just important to be clear that what one we're using in what context. Michael, do you want to yeah, what jump you just, in here? Yeah, definitely, because what you just said was, was one of some of the notes that I made ahead of time, which is mm-hmm. I think that when we look at at the use of these terms, they're really different based on profession. So like you just mentioned, all the, the, the legal ways of mm-hmm. looking at this, and, and I'm not a lawyer, and so I'm not going there because it's really mm-hmm. messy, and it's it's so state-specific or, or location-specific. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's really different when we look at law enforcement and what language law enforcement uses versus lawyers versus advocates versus people in schools or medical folks. I mean, we can just look at all of these different professions, and they're all going to have um, some kind of centrality or, or some kind of language that they use more commonly than others, um, and I'm not sure that there's any benefit in trying to unify that language, but it can get really, uh, really confusing. I think when certain people are talking about it in one way, the same kind of situation in one way, and another set of providers or people are talking about it in a different way using different language. So I think that adds mm-hmm. to kind of public confusion about what are we talking about here, and is this really abuse or not? And mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, that's kind of where I want to end up is like, you know, how how do people know if the, if what they're experiencing is abuse? Because a lot of times I know we see that people are just not recognizing that what they've experienced is abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's more true, I think, for um, non-trans male survivors, um, people who are LGB or T. So some of the things that just are not being reflected because they're they're just not seeing themselves in those words or in the situations that are being described. So mm-hmm. and I also think there's a major difference geographically, like you started out in the very beginning talking about Seattle and, and gender-based violence and people thinking it was about bathroom bills. And it's like, I mean, I think that's a microcosm and, mm-hmm. and probably not what the rest of the country thinks about. Um, you know, but it's, it's, it's humorous in, in, a, in a sort of weird, fun and perverse way, but I don't think that's common in, you know, the middle of Montana or you know, central Illinois or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about all of these gendered issues, I do worry a little bit that we're we're somehow or other losing some focus on the traditional domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, heterosexual domestic mm-hmm. violence, yeah, because mm-hmm. isn't, I mean, I could be wrong, but isn't that still the most predominant form of this mm-hmm. type of, of assault? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that's I think one of the challenges is uh, uh, again of um, I think particularly for an organization like ours, um, which is um, you know trying to in a name, <laughs> which we don't want to go on. That you know that was another decision was that we didn't want to like have a name that was longer than the one we were moving away from. Um, <laughs> by listing every kind of violence or abuse we might um, consider kind of under our purview is that, you know, how do we come to a term that is inclusive enough to talk about, um, to capture what we think are the range of issues that we are focused on um, uh, without being the coalition against all bad things. And um, and then how... Ha- so specific enough, but then also inclusive enough. Um, and then also how do we um, try to capture in a name, 
you know, the the different kinds of um, populations that different organizations might be might be serving. Um, and you know, I don't know that any name can capture that, but uh, which is why we, after we we chose the name, we um, did a bunch of stuff clarifying for ourselves and for everybody who, um, you know, who we come in contact with, what we mean by this definition, because ultimately people are using these definitions in different ways. And I think every organization needs to make that decision, and we would make a very different decision if our constituency was different. Um, And we did choose the term violence, even though we did have a – a conversation about was that being too narrow and you know we didn't use abuse um so and even there i'm you know i won't get into all the details but you know ultimately you've got to land on something and then you know try to be as explicit as you can be about what you mean by it because all of these things mean something something different to somebody else i mean well, the term, it, many many heterosexual women who are abused don't see themselves in the terms domestic violence or even you know intimate partner abuse and um many heterosexual victims of sexual assault rape and any of those terms don't see themselves in that because we all have these um I think, uh, or most people have a lot of uh, misconceptions about what those things mean. Um, and I can't tell you how many people have said to me, you know, I, heterosexual women, when I did direct services in a shelter, I'm not a battered woman, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a victim of domestic violence, uh, but... And, well, and that's, uh, my, that's exactly so. the point I was, <laughs> I was trying, uh, you know, I was arriving at with the, this right. these questions. No, I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, if we get too esoteric, then we may be, um, you know, sending mm-hmm. in an, uh, an incorrect message to mm-hmm. a number of people for whom we actually started the whole movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted so, to Michael, jump in a little bit with you about. Jump in. Yep, sorry, <laughs> you asked about prevalence mm-hmm. rates, um, and I. Mm-hmm. One of the, the studies that I go to frequently is the Centers for Disease Controls. Uh, NISVIS study, so the National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey, and I don't have mm-hmm. the, the number of respondents in front of me, but it's it's several thousand people, it's many thousand people, and mm-hmm. it's interesting that, um, you know, when they, I'll just share what, what they've uh, found on intimate partner violence and not sexual violence, but when they looked at uh, heterosexual men and women, um, they were showing a rate of 35% um, lifetime mm-hmm. IPV for heterosexual women, but 29% mm-hmm. for heterosexual men, so those are, those rates are fairly close. But mm-hmm. when we look at gay or lesbian folks, um, the rates for lesbian women is 44%, so actually higher than the rate for heterosexual women. And the rates for gay men is 26%, so close to the in line with heterosexual men. But mm-hmm. what's, I think, really fascinating about the NISVA studies, when they looked at bisexual folks, bisexual folks by far had um, the higher rates of, of violence. So for bisexual women, it was 61% experienced mm-hmm. uh, intimate partner violence and 37% of bisexual men. Um, they didn't mm-hmm. break out by by trans folks. Um, Williams Institute just came out with some some meta-analysis surveys that have indicated that around 50% of trans folks have experienced IPV. So, you know, we look at mm-hmm. that. You know, it, there are higher rates of violence that are being experienced by, you know, lesbians and gay men, bisexual women mm-hmm. and men, and trans folks. Um, and again, mm-hmm. you know, we can talk about numbers and do the numbers mean anything, but mm-hmm. um, they can and do right, it. Right, but if we shift the frame to who the perpetrators are. Overwhelmingly, that same study found that um, the majority of perpetrators are male. So, again, I think that um, – and then also if you look at the impacts and the negative consequences, and, again, this isn't to say that, you know, any – that experiencing um, intimate partner abuse, sexual violence – um, any of these kinds of experiences can be totally devastating to a person. It's bad. It, it has negative impacts on everybody. Um, and when you, um, I think because of the nature of how um, these forms of violence play out and also um, how society responds to them, what that, what that same study found was that in terms of the more extreme consequences of the violence, um, 
uh, and and it's only asked about male and female. I don't think it was parsed out enough, but that you know women experienced um, overall much not in necessarily every individual um, much more negative experiences. So again, I just think we we have to understand the nuance of all of this, and that um, and and I I do think that there's you know, that the consequences for LGBT folks are different than for heterosexual men and heterosexual women, um, and that we also have to look at those things. And it's all happening in the context of a world that still sees things in terms of, um, you know, this gender binary and I don't think we can say that. Okay, has nothing we are to do running out of time now, so I'm going to kind of cut you okay. off here. But um, just a, a quick question for each of you, and I'll start with you, Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, does it matter? Does it matter mm-hmm. if we all, if if it's so difficult to put our fingers on exactly what each of these things means? Da, 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 does it really matter what particular term we use? I, I think it does matter in terms of victims or survivors getting access to services. Um, so on that, that on the ground level, for people who have been, been harmed by violence or, or abuse or, or assault, I think it can and does make a difference if people don't see themselves in the language that's reflected. I'm not sure that there's one language, one set of language that would be better for every single population, but I think language really does make a difference for who gets served. Mm-hmm. Okay, Meryl, same question to you. I would agree, and I think it's just important that we be intentional about the language that we use, that we're clear about what term we're using in what circumstances. And, um, you know, again, where we're trying to focus on is the intersections of these issues and not the divisions and um, uh, where these things come together and where we can build common ground, both to to better serve survivors and to ultimately work to eradicate these forms of violence and abuse from our from our culture. And briefly we mentioned the legal standpoint because legal is definitely mm-hmm. a component here. Does any of this mm-hmm. matter from a legal standpoint? Laws have not kept up with social service agencies vocabularies. Um mm-hmm. does it does it matter from a legal standpoint? <laughs> Well, I guess what I would say is that I don't I don't know that we can do any kind of justice to this topic at um it with a couple minutes left to go in the show. Um I but I do do just I I guess what I'll say is that it's important to understand that our legal system is cuz we're also talking about there's the criminal legal system and the civil legal system. Most people think about criminal um that again it, the the terminology that is used um, in the legal system serves a very different purpose than the terminology that's important to use uh, in um, working to support a, um, you know, survivor safety and um, self-determination. Uh, so it does matter, um, and the laws, I think, are always going to be catching up with our um, our changing cultural um society, uh, uh, cultural norms, and um, again, we just need to be clear what purpose they serve. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Meryl. Thank you so much, Michael. I I, I think that, um, I'm not sure that we came to any conclusions, but Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that we needed to. I think the discussion Mm -hmm. is what's important here, and uh, hopefully, uh, as I said, I'm seeing things changing left and right from what used to be domestic violence Mm -hmm. to gendered violence. And I think, you know, my my heart says this is a good thing, but I also think that we need to think about why we're doing that before we make that change. And, Meryl, it sounds like your organization certainly did think about it before you made that change. How how long were you in the process of making that name change? Um, I, it was about a year, I think. Of, yeah. um, it was a year to make the decision and then a year to um, to, like, you know, do our logo and what new website and all that and you know explain it all okay and michael can you please give the website quickly or contact information for forge yeah sure it's uh, forge-forward.org okay and meryl same thing for the coalition um ours is end as in the word e-n-d-g-v for gender violence gender-based violence um 
endgv.org. So endgv.org. Terrific. Thank you both for being with us. I end our show with a quote each week, and this week I think I have an appropriate one. It's by Marcus uh, Zuzak. I have a hard time saying his name, author of The Book Thief. I have hated words, and I have loved them, and I hope that I have made them right. (laughs) And I think that's about the most we can hope for. Join us next week. We're going to be talking about the ACLU report on uh, violence and the uh, system response to violence. Thank you so much for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways.